Welcome to the County Road Bobblers Bobblecast, a fun podcast with a feel like you're sitting in the local pub chatting about the blues to other blues. Welcome to the latest County Road Bobblers podcast. Uh, it's myself, which is host. Uh, it's going to be a special episode this time round. It's an episode we've done a couple of times and we want to keep doing it. Um, I don't think we should ever kind of stop this conversation. Uh, it, it shouldn't be, you know, once a year. It shouldn't be twice a year. We should be continually talking about mental health, you know, just as important as anything in life. And today we're going to be focusing on, on that topic uh, along with mental health and football. Uh, I've got two special guests on with us today. Um, Many of you will know Jay Deacon already from Talk Hub. Uh, Jay's been on our, our podcast quite a few times and done a lot of work with, with Everton Football Club. Uh, and we've also got um, Chris Robertson uh, making his, uh, his debut on the uh, the Bobblecast today. Um, obviously going to talk us through his um, journey. Uh, he's an author of a book. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but it's football over anything. I haven't made it easy for people to be fair. <laughs> um, obviously, um, my normal day job is a primary school teacher. So if we're going with the proper mathematical term, it's football's greater than anything. But there you go. Uh, football yeah. over anything, same thing. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> Whichever your interpretation is, looking at that uh, for sure. And, and obviously, it's, you know, it goes without saying, it says uh, how football has brought out the, uh, the worst in so many, uh, so many for the sports. Uh, they love um, so it's an interesting kind of spin actually and I, I'm really curious to find out more about that Chris um, Jay how are you doing mate uh, since last time we spoke I think been going okay and I'll uh, come back to you shortly yeah you're all good mate yeah just ups and downs like but um, getting through it <laughs> that's the same for a lot of us isn't it it is life is one of these roller coasters that we that's probably isn't it because with mental health, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, you suffer from mental health, and you just expect you to be, you know, you're okay now." As as everything sounds, but you know, we all know that there's times where it's really bad. There's times where it's really good. It never really ever stops. You know, you're always kind of on that journey, aren't you? As you go through your life, you know, at different times. Um. So, Chris, um, coming on to yourself, mate. Uh, can you tell us obviously a bit more about yourself? Obviously, I know you, Chris, through football and very good, uh, very good fullback, uh, Chris. For anyone that doesn't know him, um, I, well, I think you can play pretty much across the pitch. But uh, what led you to, to to actually writing a book? And and can you tell us a bit about your journey as, as as to how you kind of got to this situation where you felt like you wanted to start trying to help people out and and, and express how you feel? Yeah, so I think you touched on it there, John. I mean, when you're saying people are up and down, and obviously. Um, your mood is up and down constantly, isn't it? And also, if you're saying about like people are like, oh, you'll get better over time. So, what led me to do this? Unfortunately, my dad passed away um two years ago, a week now. Um, and the book by pure luck actually came out on his anniversary of his death. Um, and <clears throat> I think people get misinformed about you know like death of someone really close to you like that. Like my dad was like my best mate. You know what I mean? And um. We have that shared passion of football and he was just your best mate, you know what I mean? And that's what, like, I couldn't ask for more in, that, in terms of that um, for a relationship with him. But people are like, oh, 
you can't go and seek help and stuff like that if someone's died because the grief takes a year to set in anyway. Um, it's still a bit too soon. Um, over time, this will get easier and things like that. Um, so I was getting told that quite a lot. And obviously, you're going to be upset when someone close to you dies. And I've had loss in my life before. Um, and this with my dad was just like completely different, do you know what I mean? And it made me realise like just how bad and how like how much my mental health had spiralled out of control, really. Um, because obviously losing so anyone is hard, like I said. And then when I think back now, obviously you have had experiences of this in the past. Um, so I think it was around five years ago, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, unfortunately, my partner lost a baby, um, had a miscarriage, um, which was at 12 weeks, which unfortunately miscarriages do happen um it was the first one for us and unfortunately we have three more after that um but at that time um this happens all on one sunday so it was a bit of a crazy story to be fair so uh, my brother's best friend sam cook he was stabbed and killed in town um, i don't know if you remember the story remember it well yeah um obviously a lad from round by ours isn't he which and he was killed out on his 21st birthday and um, that was a Sunday, like Saturday night going into Sunday early hours of the morning. I got a phone call and my brother hadn't went out actually and I had to break it to my brother, do you know what I mean? The news that his mate had just been killed in town, which was like heartbreaking for me. Um, I was actually getting up early. I was up to go to watch uh, Liverpool play away um, at Spurs. Sorry for any Everton fans here who are going to be fuming. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not with it at all, am I, Rich? No, um, no, it's not. <laughs> um, but so that by pure chance happened anyway and um, I was meant to then go to Spurs away which I didn't end up going because obviously I was going to stay there for my brother and then later on in that day was when my partner then started suffering a miscarriage just like completely out of the blue so for them two things to happen in one day it was just like crazy do you know what I mean like you'd expect loss but then like for that to happen so that was like five years ago and then a year passed and I wasn't dealing with that, you know, because of that missed, like, interpretation that people are like, oh, it's just grief, you'll get over it, you know what I mean? And I was struggling, you know what I mean? And the way people do deal with that, and I think men do this quite a lot, and definitely women as well, is I just went out drinking quite a lot, you know, with your mates and stuff, and I wouldn't talk to anybody around me about how I was feeling, but, like, I'd get bladdered and then maybe get a little bit teary at the end of the night, and that was it. You're not dealing with it at all, are you, really? Um, so another year passed and unfortunately we lost another baby again then and then at that point um, my partner was actually away on holiday um, well she wasn't on away on holiday she was away visiting family anyway and um, I had the house to myself and I'd been out with my mates and um, I just I don't know why but that one morning I just woke up and decided Maybe it might have been the drink from the night before, but then I was going back out that day. I just decided, to, just out of the blue, I just thought, I'm just going to go out today, see everybody I love, make sure I'm going round, see everyone do the rounds, and I'm going to kill myself tonight, which was just, like, crazy, do you know what I mean? Like, that I got to that point, really. And this is, like, before, like, we're now talking, this is, like, five years ago, we're now three years down. I'm now being diagnosed with depression. At that point, I wasn't even thinking I had depression. I was just thinking... I just don't want to be here anymore. Do you know what I mean? Um, so the day goes on anyway. And 
like this is the scary thing isn't it like I'd be, I'm planning to kill myself that night and my mates would have had no idea at all because I was laughing joking with them all day they had no clue what was going on in my mind and what I was planning on doing that night and luckily the last person I had to see was actually my dad um so I went and seen my dad and when I actually seen him um I just don't know what it was but he just sensed something was up with me do you know what I mean we were out watching I think the late kickoff um and he was just like, are you all right? What's going on? Do you know what I mean? And I just started breaking down in tears in front of him because, like, people do try and check on you, do you know what I mean? But you try and put a brave face on it, don't you? Um, and he was like, oh. So he took me home anyway, took me to my mum and things like that. And they were just like, um, just like, they just basically tried to sober me up a little bit. I wasn't bevy, to be fair, but I'd planned this for the whole day, hadn't I? But they just kept me there, made sure I was safe. And then, talked about maybe you need to go and get some help and stuff like that and I think just that intervention helped me a little bit and maybe then that should have been the sign for me to go and get some help do you know what I mean um but I still put it off do you know what I mean um because I obviously thought I had that support network around me with my partner my mum and my dad and my dad was like the rock do you know what I mean who's you'd always go to with me problems like if I did actually have problems and I was open to talk about it I would talk to him he was like my personal counsellor, do you know what I mean? Um, so we had that incident anyway. And then as time went on, um, fortunately, my partner actually did end up having a baby, which was just, we thought was a miracle at the time after losing another baby. And like, you're just overjoyed, aren't you? Like, because that's all we wanted, do you know what I mean? And I've got a little lad and it was just brilliant. And then six months down the line and the annoying thing was, and this is what hurts me now, I think a little bit, it was during COVID that he was born. Um, so obviously you weren't really allowed to see your family and we were actually abiding by the laws, really quite, we quite strict with it really because we were obviously concerned for a little baby. We weren't too sure how good, how, like, whether, how serious it was really at the time. So six months passed and I think in that six months, my dad didn't really get the chance to see him as much as you would like, do you know what I mean? Because it got towards the end and then you were allowed to finally mix and things like that. And it then got to the point, unfortunately, that he was still working. He was working on the taxis and he caught COVID and thought not of it, do you know what I mean? And then, unfortunately, he ends up in hospital. He just gradually gets worse, gradually gets worse, and unfortunately then dies of COVID. Um and there's things there, do you know what I mean? Like just the fact that he was by himself and you couldn't see him, that hurts me, I think, as well. That maybe adds into a bit more of my depression because you feel like a bit of guilt that you weren't there for him because he was there for me my whole life. But obviously, if you're thinking logically and you know, man, like I couldn't have done anything about it. What am I going to do? Go get locked up by the police for breaking into a hospital to sit with him, do you know what I mean? And chaining myself next to him. So, but you still feel that guilt, you know what I mean? That he was suffering by himself. He had no one to support him and we were texting him and things like that. And obviously, unfortunately, like the hospitals were closed, but um, like lots of people won't know this, but like when a, pa a patient was dying of COVID, he was in the high intensity, high intensive care. He was put in a coma about a week before he died. And I think at that point I realised, oh, it was a, it was very frustrating for me as well again because um, my dad was a very strong man and he didn't want us to be upset and he didn't really want us talking to him on the phone so that we could hear how bad and how ill he was really and um, it got to then 
a Friday, a random Friday, I'm in work and my mum rang me and said, oh, um, they're putting your dad in a coma. So obviously the first thought is I need to ring him here and speak to him because I don't know whether he's ever coming out of this coma, do you know what I mean? And by the time we'd even had the chance to ring him, literally five minutes later, that was the last time we would have ever had the chance to speak to him, unfortunately. And going back to then, obviously when they made that decision then that he couldn't live anymore and we had to turn off his life support machine and things like that going into that COVID ward was just like that's enough to like I think just send anyone over the edge you know just like in terms of like your brain and things like that because witnessing your own dad in there was bad but then seeing other people was just horrific because the way they staged the wards was crazy so you'd come into a room and sorry if this is upsetting for anybody who's like suffered had any family suffering from this by the way who's listening but you'd go into the ward and there was people who were awake on like these masks so they could see everything going on then you go a little bit further and there was people in comas and then there was people in rooms where they were like basically on life support ready to turn them off which was my dad unfortunately so I was just thinking to myself, my dad has been at this stage, so he's just seeing all these families walking through and through, and I'm just like, what must have been going through his mind, you know what I mean? Um, so obviously my dad's died, and it is like like really poor. It's like it's bad for anyone, isn't it, you know what I mean? Especially when it's, you're that close to him. And again, never dealt with it in the right way, I think, again. Um, took me a, a long time again, do you know what I mean? Sometimes, I, I'm not, by the way, I don't drink of a week. I can, I'm not like, we're not talking like I was using alcohol as like abuse, but if you had the opportunity, maybe on a Saturday, if you just went out to watch the football, you'd drink loads, do you know what I mean? And you just drink to the point of just like no return, basically just to try and get rid of all the pain. Um, do you think some of that, Chris, obviously, I've you know, I played footy with you and played for, you know, Waterloo certainly, and there was that, going back to the club straight after playing, wasn't there? And you kind of then be drinking socially, wouldn't you? And more often than not, stay out, wouldn't you, for the, you know, afternoon and the, and the night and all that. So it's, I suppose it's, it is easy, isn't it, to then just add that little bit more on top of it, isn't it? And, you know, yeah, definitely like it, it, it. I wouldn't, because of COVID at the time as well, like the football was a bit on and off, wasn't it really? And it wasn't even like just like, it wasn't like definitely playing football, but I, I definitely agree with you. Like it's just, topping yourself up isn't it and using them social situations and your mates are trying to help you do you know what I mean they're thinking they're doing you the world of good taking you out getting you out the house because they're like oh if he'll get depressed if he's sat in the house moping around do you know what I mean and it, it doesn't help do you know what I mean like drink isn't good for you like that's the one thing I want to say like when like obviously I'm I suffer from depression and when I'm at my worst usually is when I've had a drink and that'll be my mood will drop completely and I really shouldn't drink anyway with antidepressants so if you are on antidepressants or you're thinking about it you shouldn't obviously but it's it does it just like it breaks them decision making things down it doesn't make it right you know what I mean like you could be thinking like obviously when you have suffered depression like the smallest things can just tip you over the edge and you'll be like I could just have an argument with someone say for example and in my mind, I'm just thinking, why am I here? I, I just want to kill myself, do you know what I mean? But that is like, it is just mad, isn't it? I know it sounds mad to say that, but like something so little can trigger it. But like if you're suffering from depression, that's what you think in your brain sometimes. That's what I certainly think. It might not be everybody, but you can talk yourself down from that, do you know what I mean? 
if you're sober, you could be like, all oh, right, listen, after a while, you're like, listen, calm down. Like, that's not that serious. But if you've had a bevy, like, you could make the wrong decision. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's certainly the times when, like, I've been thinking about suicide and when I spoke to counsellors and stuff like that, it's called, like, a suicidal ideology. Um, you don't want to act upon it, but there is definitely opportunities where you could act upon it. And it is usually when you've drank or you've taken drugs and think, um, because it blocks out, obviously, that saying side of your brain that is trying to tell you that you shouldn't be doing this, really. Um, Chris, can I can I just um, ask Jay on this as well? Because, obviously, Jay, I know that you've... You don't drink, do you? You know, you, you, know, you dance sometimes, like you've had a bevy, but, uh, you know, you could, <laughs> I've seen your, your skills on the uh, the dance floor, but uh, <laughs> I think, you know, obviously just sharing your experience on what Chris has said so far, obviously, was that part of your decision to stop drinking, you know, because of, because of, because of your mental health? Or Yeah, um, similar to you, Chris, like, when I was at my lowest time when I, I felt suicidal, uh, I... I, started, I was going out having a few bevies on the weekend and um, I, the next day I just felt horrible, you know, and you just wake up and you, obviously you're on your antidepressants and then basically that's a depression. So it was like cancelling cancelling it out um, and I just felt felt horrible, mate. Um, and yeah, that basically I started boxing and that was my kind of outlet then to make myself feel better, but... Yeah, for me, like it's been eight years in June since last I had a drink. So um for me it's just it was a decision I thought it was be- best for me, obviously mostly for me for mental health, because I just knew that I didn't feel good at all when I'd had one. Um and like you said, you, you feel good at the time and stuff, but it's that it's that it's the, not, the next day, isn't it, where you you feel, you know, really, really bad and uh it could last a few days just mentally, um, just drain drain you kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's obviously hard enough anyway when you're suffering from depression, but after you've had a drink, the hangover, it's not even a hangover, is it really? It's just that, like you said, the blocking each other out, the antidepressants and the depressant being the alcohol, and it, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. Like, um, to be fair, I do, I, I, like yourself, like, I haven't done eight years, but, like, I do periods of, like, a couple of months when I don't have a drink, and I might do on a few social occasions, and you feel happy with yourself, you know, when you just limit it to, like, a sociable, like, three or four. But yeah. really, you don't need to drink, do you, really? And, and that's something that I think some people t- need to realise sometimes. And like you said, which with the football and stuff like that, sometimes you go um, to meet your mates, say, before the match or something for a pint. And they're like, um, I'll be like, oh, can I have a blackcurrant soda? Or you might have, like, a alcohol-free drink so you don't look as... That's what I mean. I'm saying you don't look as bad, but you but you don't look bad, do you? You're sober, yeah. do you know what I mean? But, I mean, so you're, like, trying to fit in with them slightly. It's, like, a social thing. Like, why do you need to have that alcohol-free drink? You don't do you, really, just to prove to them that you've got a bottle in your hand. But you still have your mates, don't you? Like, you're like, oh, what are you doing not drinking? Why are you being so boring and all that? And you're just like, you don't need to have a drink, really, do you, to not be boring? Um, no, Chris, you're spot on. Funny enough, at the weekends, if before going the match, um, Siobhan, um, I know, I think Jay, you know quite well, and, and yeah. Jazz and a few others were uh, going for a, a Beffy before the game, uh, going to Winslow for about 12 o'clock before the game, and there was a protest march or two that I was obviously joining, and, and he said, you know, just come and meet us before that, and because I had to pre-op on, on me, and they have to turn in my cartilage a few months, well, in July, um, 
And I said, oh, no, I can't, I'm not drinking. And it's mad, isn't it? Because I almost, you know, I haven't seen my mates for ages or I haven't seen them for ages. But because I wasn't drinking, I felt like I almost well, I ended up going straight to that protest march. But it didn't actually, I could have literally went there at like a Diet Coke or whatever or a bottle of water. But because of that kind of thing in your head that, and I almost, you know, and I probably would have really enjoyed myself socialising and seeing people that I haven't seen. But I'm the same. I, I know my self-control is poor, you know, and going to a pub, I'll end up having one and then it turns into two and then it turns into a night out. Um, but you're spot on, Chris, with that. Um, so it's interesting, really. You know, obviously, you've, you've been through a hell of a lot, mate. You know what I mean? And, and I've known you for, you know, for a few years. And to be honest, I didn't realise even that, you know, and I know I'm not like a really close mate to you. You know, you've got really good mates. So I kind of know you through football, don't I? And I've become friends through that. So it just shows you, you know what I mean? You can know people. And, you know, someone yeah. said to me, you know, Chris Roberts, I, oh, yeah, you know, top lap, but I don't really know what you've yeah, been no, through. Even, even your closest mates, you don't tell this stuff, do you know what I mean? When you're suffering, um, you suffer in silence. That's why I'm trying to do this book, because I'm trying to raise awareness of it, because um, my friends obviously knew I was upset, obviously, because of all this loss in my life and things like that, but they had no idea. It was, I had depression, and now I had these suicidal thoughts, like, Sometimes, obviously, I don't know whether, well, Jay will have done this, obviously, but yourself, which I don't know if you've ever filled out, like a questionnaire when you're depressed, you have a questionnaire, and when you go to counselling, you do these every two, three weeks, I think it is, that they just check up and they give you a score, and if I fill them out, sometimes it's like, how many suicidal thoughts do you have? Is it every every day? Is it three times in the last fortnight or what. I've never, never in the last two years, I've never been able to fill out that box without saying I've had several suicidal thoughts in the last two weeks. Like, like I said, it could be something stupid, do you know what I mean? And I don't want to act upon it, but obviously that's why you need to go and seek help, do you know what I mean? And you do need to speak to people. And this book has obviously helped me because it let me channel um, them horrible, what them dark thoughts kind of into like something because... It's when you have that downtime, it's when you're by yourself that you do have these dark thoughts. And sometimes I find mine usually just before I go to bed. And yeah. unfortunately, I suffer from a little bit of, I'm going to describe it as this, this isn't being diagnosed as a doctor by a doctor, by the way, but kind of slightly PTSD, I think, because I do picture that whole scene of that COVID world over and over in my head quite often. And your dreams are quite dark and, Used to be fair, like I just wake up constantly, so I'm all right. But my partner's like, Oh my god, like she knows when I'm having a bad night, you know what I mean? Because I'm all tossing and turning all over the place. But I didn't tell me, mates. I'd already started writing the book before I told them, and I got to a point when I don't even know what the turning point was, but I would be out with them one day, um, and it was actually one of the days where I made the sensible decision and said, I'm going off here. Um and I just got home and I don't know why, but I started typing up on a notes. It was after I'd been writing the book. I'd been going to counselling at this point as well, which obviously we'll talk about. But like, I wrote down a note and I just told told them what I just told you about. Like, I was going to kill myself five years ago. I've not really done anything to help myself since then, but I've now started going to counselling. I still feel suicidal all the time. I've still got it on my phone, the text like that I sent to them, and I sent that to them, and. They were all in the WhatsApp. And I, I even said in the WhatsApp group, like, don't start talking to me. Don't start texting me separately. I just wanted to let you know. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, just so you brave. Know. That's brave, mate, to be able to do that as well. Yeah, and you know what? Like, it, I was crying while I was doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, the tears started coming down, and I was just like, oh, a bit of a relief. Do you know what I mean? To get it off your shoulders, and that's what you've got to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I hadn't even told that to my partner. Do you know what I mean? Which is was horrible for her. And then after the response from them, they were like, one of my closest mates was like, you need to. T- have you told Rachel this? And I was like, no. And she, I said, she knows I'm bad because my partner was like, you need to go get help. Do you know what I mean? You need to go get help because they could see how much I was hurt. And um, I went and told her the next day then um, with a mum there as well because um, my mum's really good with that kind of thing and she suffered from depression in the past and she was trying to get me on that path because she must have obviously seen the signs herself. And um, it's hard for them, do you know what I mean? It was hard for them to hear, do you know what I mean? And... Um, it is tough, do you know what I mean? And obviously, I've since then as well. And this is ju- just a depression again, do you know what I mean? I've had another baby now, which is just another miracle, do you know what I mean? And my two little lads are me the like the best thing in my life, do you know what I mean? And obviously, the book's called Football is Greater Than Anything. I used to think football is greater than anything, but my little lads are greater than anything. And I'm scared that if they weren't here, obviously, I don't think I'd be doing this podcast, you know what I mean? I don't know whether I would have went down a different path. I don't know whether I would have killed myself by now. It's it's a scary thought to think about, but uh, you've just got to go inside and get the help, you know what I mean? Um, and I did do that, and Sean's place was the place I chose to do that, and um, it was the best decision I made, and it is tough. Um, Counselling's not easy. Um <laughs> Chris, you know Sean's place, obviously just for people that don't know, um, just tell us a bit about how did you spot Sean's place, you know, how did you come out going to there? And Unfortunately, I think the way I saw it was, um, and I don't really know who it was, by the way, so I don't want to be quoted on this, but I saw quite a lot of lads from, who were a bit older than me from Crosby doing a lot of fundraising, unfortunately, for their friend who killed himself, I think, Um and they were raising funds for Sean's place. So I started looking into this Sean's place then. Um, and when I started looking into it, I saw what it was that they actually did. And it just looked like it was a bit daunting at first. And I put it off again, off and off and off and off again. But um, the work they did looked brilliant, do you know what I mean? And obviously, if you... I'm a teacher, do you know what I mean? I'm not skint, do you know what I mean? But I'm also not extremely well off. If you're looking to go counselling and you're going private and stuff like that, I I don't know how much that would cost, you know what I mean? I think it would cost a lot. Um, and for some people, that will not be available, do you know what I mean? Um, and Sean's place is a free service. Um, obviously, it works on these donations and it works on government grants and stuff. So, like, Steve Rovenham and Andy Burnham are there on Thursday. Um they're going to listen to the choir, I think, there. And Sean's Place is just brilliant. You've got counselling, you've got group sessions, they've got drop-in sessions. It's like, I don't know whether they'd like me describing it as like this, but it's like an um, adult youth centre, basically, where you can go and mix with other people who are feeling the same. And to be fair, I'm I'm a bit different. I'm a bit more introvert, but obviously you're thinking, how am I introvert? I'm talking about it on a podcast to have never many people, but... I've never really liked the whole side of going and talking to someone because I have like this, it, when you're depressed, obviously, and things like that, you have a lot of like self-doubt and you don't feel nice about yourself a lot anyway. But 
I always get angry at myself then if I feel like somebody else has had it worse than me, do you know what I mean? And then I get angry at myself, like, you shouldn't feel the way you should. And you can't do that, do you know what I mean? And I tell myself that, but I do do that, do you know what I mean? So that's why I try and stay away from the group sessions, but I've done the one-to-one counselling. And recently they've actually put on workshops for your own family as well to help you, which is brilliant, do you know what I mean? Because I know, like, unless you've lived with someone with depression, like, you don't know what to deal with it and because you're up and down you're up and down and like some days like it could be like a little simple thing like a, I'll have had to rush out early in the morning and I'll have forgot to take my tablet and then when I've come back like it might just be like three hours later than usual your mood is just hit all time low and you're so ratty with people and sometimes it's not nice to be around you know what I mean and you've just got to obviously have that support network and you've got to just like let people know because if you don't let people know then they might just think you know what he's just an absolute idiot do you know what I mean and they might become fed up with you because if I was like I don't know my partner sometimes must get fed up with me do you know what I mean and I try my best but sometimes obviously you do hurt those around you so that's why you've just got to be clear with them and just say listen I'm having a bad day Um, I might need to just go for a walk or something or I might need to just have a bit of time to myself I think um, but yeah, Sean's place does everything. You can go fishing and everything, but it's honestly brilliant. It's honestly, um, I just want to say as well, because I think like, because I'm like pushing Sean's place that much, that there is other places you can go as well for anyone who's listening. Um, and I also had um, one of my friends was asking for his mum. He said, oh, can she go to Sean's place? Sean's place is just for men, but there is obviously female equivalents of this as well so I think you have like the Swan Centre is that right and uh, Bootle as well they have like female only um, counselling and things like that which I think it does make it a bit easier sometimes just being with your own sex I think sometimes because um, well in my circumstances I've always felt a bit more comfortable talking to men about this but you might not like that you might want to mix and things like that so but yeah that's where we got to anyway, I finally realised that you do need to go to Sean's place. And if you fill out a self-referral form, they do try and get back to you as quickly as possible. Um, you've also got, obviously, your doctor. Um, I didn't go straight to my doctor because I, I was trying to avoid going on antidepressants at one point because, obviously, you were misinformation about antidepressants as well. Some people are misinformed via the internet and things like that, saying that don't have them, they just zombie it out. And um, in some ways that is kind of true because I took one tablet and I didn't particularly like it. Um, I felt like it just made me emotionless. But the doctors and Sean's place, by the way, Sean's place have a pharmacist who will come in and he'll like, talk to you about what's the best for you, really. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at now. And obviously I wrote a book as part of my own therapy. So, uh, Chris, don't be so so modest. This book, it's a you know tremendous achievement to have anything published, and you know I think it's something you should be very proud of that you've managed to channel you know what you've been through in your journey into something so positive, you know, to help others. What is the book? What what can people expect to read it? Um, what 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 kinds of content does it have? And is it taking on a journey? Is it about your story or? So the book starts basically just like why I love football, and obviously you know I do love football. Although sometimes when I was on the pitch, I didn't look like I was loving football. <laughs> um, but obviously I love football, and that was a shared love with my dad. And um, some people might know, some people might not know. If you knew my dad, he was involved in non-league football across Merseyside for his whole life, really. 
Physio at Prescott, Marine. Um, we've got loads more. Southport. Um, Skem for a bit. He was all over the place. He ended up in Telford and a few at Ebb's Fleet as well. It's mad, to be fair. But I'd go with him on Saturday. It was like his little shadow, basically. And um, I just loved it, you know what I mean? And that's where the book starts, basically talking about that love. The introduction was the hardest bit to write. That was basically me talking about my mental health and some of the figures basically went like suicide and stuff like that. And I think one of the important ones to point out is like, obviously suicide is like really, really like prevalent across the whole of society. Do you know what I mean? I've got it wrote down here that it's affecting like one in six adults. So like if you're in a room of six in a pub, then one in every six has got it. But the fact that it's obviously only 9% of males go and seek treatment, do you know what I mean? Which is just crazy out of all the people who are depressed, all the males, only 9% will do that. And it, I think females are slightly higher, but still it's it's a worrying statistic, isn't it, really? And then obviously that leads into obviously the suicide figures and stuff like that. But So that's where the book starts anyway, and it's based on two whole concepts, basically, of winning at all costs and greed, because that's what I saw as a kid growing up. You had to win at all costs and... It might have been through cheating. It might have been like, I don't know, just taking someone out last man. We've all done that, haven't we? Which I've seen you do that a few times. Um, it might have been, might be just anything, do you know what I mean? To get an advantage over your team. And the greed in it as well was like, obviously when you're a non-league team and if the team's doing well, you're putting money into the team. If they're not doing well, they cut the budget like that. And it's just, if you haven't been around it, it was just crazy, do you know what I mean? Like, they just cut a whole squad in, like, a weekend, and then they're having to bring kids in and stuff. So that's how it starts, and then I lead it into professional football then, because what I wanted to, like, make people realise, and I think the book is, like, good for men and women, do you know what I mean? It's not just about men, although, unfortunately, most of the examples are sport and males, unfortunately, which is obviously something I can look at, obviously looking at females as well who've suffered. It just looks at, like, how depression can even come and then people like we probably quite a lot of people who love football dreamed of becoming a footballer like I know I did and it's just not what it's made out to be basically when you look at this book um, and it splits it into that winning at all costs so what do they do to win at all costs so the first chapter starts with murder um, unfortunately you will probably know the most most popular murder case well not a case it was actually a murder committed involving football was Andres Escobar in 94 and um, so I delve into that a little bit because obviously winning at all costs if he would have won that game in the World Cup he wouldn't be dead now probably is unfortunately what's happened to him and I go into it a little bit with greed there as well of talking about how Escobar was just basically using football to launder money it's it is interesting that is a really interesting chapter to was an interesting chapter to do I think it's an interesting one to read as well um, then we go into like drugs then so obviously using steroids to obviously get an advantage um, and there's some people on there who you might have heard of before being steroid users and who you might not have used before but seeing as though I, I didn't mention this on a Liverpool podcast I was on the other day because I didn't want them to be thinking oh they're just trying to um, um, slag City off but um, a certain Pep Guardiola failed a drug test for steroids uh, back in the day um, so obviously he's contested that but you can read about that in the chapter but obviously they're putting their own mental health at risk just to try and stay at the top basically is the whole point of that chapter you've then got recreational drugs for the ones who are struggling with the mental health 
Um, he likes a Paul Mears and Maradona, etc. And obviously, you know him and I know him. Paddy was obviously banned for taking drugs, wasn't he? And that chapter basically is about like how the FA deal with that. Like they don't help these footballers at all. Like if you test positive, like Paddy did during a um, football and game, they count that as a performance enhancing drug and. I said this the other day, I've never taken cocaine and I think it's probably a godsend that I haven't with the state my mental health is in because I'm obviously seeing how it can affect others. But um, he was banned for two years for that because they said that was a performance enhancing drug and it's just like daft. Like, who in the right mind is going to take cocaine to improve the performance? He certainly hadn't, do you know what I mean? He was just unlucky that he didn't want to play and he was basically asked to play when he shouldn't have and he knew it and he got unfortunately caught but um, what I'm basically trying to say in that chapter is like give rehab to these people help them don't take away that dream because think about the percentage of people who make it as a footballer it's like 0.05% make it as a professional footballer and they've worked the whole life to get it and they've made one mistake and you're punishing them like that Um He's, then a really, it, he's a really inspiration party as well because, I mean, is he a professional boxer now? I think he's yeah, professional yeah, professional boxer. Yeah. Professional boxer, 7-0. Um, <laughs> I'm giving him too much promotion here. You know, he needs to give me... <laughs> <laughs> I gave him promotion the other day, but he, yeah, he's fighting in the Echo Arena um, March the 11th, but he is an inspiration, you know. It's, Paddy Lacey, and it's Paddy Lacey, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, everyone just heard the first name. Because, yeah. like, obviously, he, he made mistakes, you know what I mean? And... The FA didn't help him in that case and he left him and he lost his career basically. He wasn't allowed to train and then he went and made another mistake and was ended up caught dealing drugs, wasn't he? And Glastonbury and ended up locked up in jail. And he's managed to turn his life around now, fortunately, but that's with no help by the of the FA. Like, do you know what I mean? They haven't helped him. Um you then go into like injuries and match fixing. Obviously, injuries, players play through injuries and quite popular now obviously Chris Kirkland's talking a lot about it isn't he like the pain medication that he was taking to play and I talk about players who just get a bad press basically who you just label as injury prone you know what I mean but really that player doesn't want to be injured I think Danny Sturridge is one of the big ones like he was getting slagged off by his own managers and stuff like that and you can probably think of an Everton example, I think, probably. Calvin Lewin at the moment, he, he came out and said that he, he was struggling mentally last year and no one knew what, what was going on behind the scenes, obviously, but he's, he's still obviously struggling with injuries this season. And, you know, it's the same thing. People, you know, you've only got to look at Twitter when, when the manager said he's not available and everyone's absolutely, you know, shooing him online. I think that's what it is, though. Isn't it? They've labelled him as that, you know what I mean? And the man's, like, suffering with his mental health and... I saw Chris Kirkland come out today in defence of Alisson um, for kicking the ball, do you know what I mean? That accident yesterday in the corner at Harlan and he basically called them out for the bias. He's like, you're cra- always like going on about mental health and all that, but the first time someone makes a mistake, you slag them off, do you know, in the press. And obviously that's their job to talk about football, do you know what I mean? But he got a bit of a point, do you know what I mean? Um, the match fixing one was an interesting one as well. Um Obviously, match fixing explains itself why it's win at all costs, but like the people who do it end up ruining the mental health because they're known as just the biggest crooks in football. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, Marseille and Juventus are two of the ones mentioned in it. Um, and then the second half of the chapter of the book then is greed, which is was a good one to write. You've got like governance, like how poorly run football is by FIFA, UEFA, um, and then obviously ownership and stuff like that. And 
to be fair. Like I had, I wrote this book out and I was, I got killed off by all that Man City stuff coming out. I had all that in the book ready to go and um, it all come out, but they're not the only ones, you know what I mean? Like I don't want this to just be like, oh, anti-City because I'm not anti-City at all, but ownership in football is just crazy and it links in that and the governance one because like, what are we doing here to put it back into the grassroots, do you know what I mean? And um, I've sent, I'm sending a book down to Sean's place tomorrow for Andy Burnham and I've actually contacted Steve Rotherham and I've sent him the book already because they're big on that at the minute because like the, the facilities and in Liverpool aren't good enough, are they? But I think we're actually not even that bad compared to other places, do you know, like 33 out of 50 um, counties in England don't have a 3G pitch. So, like, what happens when it rains? It's frozen. It's just crazy, do you know what I mean? And it's the price of it now, isn't it? Like, you can't just go and play five sides with your mates now. It's like, you're all paying £10 a head, aren't you, to rent the pitch, basically, which is just crazy. And then the most interesting one for me, um, and it it made a change in me, to be fair, this one, um, was a chapter about gambling. Um, because I think just as a society, I think the UK has does have a massive problem with gambling. Um, I start the chapter off like just talking about it, like, and I don't know whether this is just every household or it was my household. I don't know. Um, but like, you know, just like things like, obviously the Grand National. It's a it's a thing to Liverpool, isn't it? It's massive to Liverpool. But like, your whole family puts a bet on, don't they, on that day? And even your dad, my dad sends me the bookies on on <laughs> National Day. So. <laughs> my dad just <laughs> do the rounds up of all the bets and stuff like that. But then even like, and it, you're, this is definitely one back from the Waterloo days, you're in the pub. And remember, we used to put like two quid in the coin and every time the ball went out, you pass it on. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You've got yeah. that, you have spot the balls and all that. It's just gambling, gambling, gambling everywhere. And football's doing that now. Like, I, I, I've got this statistic. It's absolutely crazy. I'm going to have to read this one out. I've wrote all statistics down here, but I don't want to bore you because um, there is loads. But like... um. Oh, I've lost it. So, like, there was a game between Newcastle and Wolves, basically, and obviously the government are trying to say they're doing all this stuff, but, like, they haven't put this ban on it yet anyway. So, like, for example, Everton have recently just got a betting company, haven't they, on the front Bank of the kit? Yeah. There's loads of them who've got it on the front of the kit, but then the clubs themselves have got their own gambling sponsors within the club, so it's everywhere anyway. Even if it's not on the front of the kit, it's in the ground. Um. So Bet365, remember the Ray Winston adverts? Like, he used to pop up and the latest odds. They're not allowed to do that anymore, are they? But even with that ban, uh, Newcastle played Wolves about two years ago and you saw a betting company 716 times in the match, a betting logo. Yeah. Six times every minute. And it is crazy, you know what I mean? And I talk about my own experiences of that then because with my depression, like... I fancied a flutter and stuff like that and I didn't think I was a problem gambler but when I started researching into it I was definitely not a problem gambler I'm not a gambling addict but I was in the at-risk category and you can start to sense when you are because the bookies send you free bets and what I noticed is as soon as I stopped depositing money they stopped sending me these free bets do you know what I mean? So they have algorithms and all that, the the, the scum of the earth, do you know what I mean? I get quotes from Paul Mason and he said it's worse than cocaine and he's been addicted to cocaine, alcohol, he says it's the worst thing. And in my depression state, like I've won stupid bets. Like I won on, I don't remember, you played Tottenham and there was that stupid 4-3, was it at Goodison? Was it 4-3 or have I just made that up? Uh, the co- co- in COVID? 
Yeah. 5-4, wasn't it? 5-4, yeah, 5-4. Yeah, Bernard scored the last one. Yeah, yeah. So I won, um, like, £800 on a £5 bet builder on that. Yeah. And it just went from there, and I just kept getting big, massive wins. And I remember sitting with one of my mates, and I was like, oh, this is my dad looking down on me, this, he's giving me these wins. And I was just like, do you know when you think back now, you're just like, how thick can you be? Do you know what I mean? It's not anything like that. It's just pure luck. Like, I won, like, £1,600 on a Darren Till to get choked out. Um, Sorry, Darren. But uh, I had, like, Derek Brunson to choke him out, and he was, like, 22 to 1. It was pure fluke. He'd never choked anyone out in his life. I just had a little premonition that he would. And then we got, like, a stupid tip. Um, Jeff Kidder, that was 88 to 1 at Cheltenham. And we win these bets, and, like, in the space of, like, so amount of months, I've won, like, nearly £3,000. And... What did I end up doing with that? What do you think I've done with that? Drink drunk it all the way. Like, Not all it, like, it, give it all back. Vices turn into vices, don't they? Yeah, but so when me when I done research for it, like luckily, fortunately, because of some of them big wins, my account shows that I'm in positive, I'm in positive profit on all of the bookies. But you take away one of them wins and it would be like dire viewing, do you know what I mean? And I, that's why I've now cancelled all the accounts because I just I just know like how easy it is at the tap of a finger to just bet like not the same anymore is it as going the bookies like and throwing a ten at a week on you could be watching a game and I don't know like Pickford's brilliant at the minute for it to be fair and I'm not betting but like if anyone sorry I shouldn't be giving tips because we're talking about cancelling it but like you know for like yellow cards because he's always taking forever on the goal kicks whenever and take the lead isn't he and if you wanted to, you could bet on that in play whilst that's happening. Like I see people at the match, not even watching the match, they're on the phone doing bets in play. It's just like it's crazy how much it's took over, and it's a bad one for mental health. It's really, really bad, and I didn't realize until I've stopped that. Like sometimes it was affecting my mood because like I'd be sat on a Saturday out in a play center with the kids, and I'd be checking how my bets were doing and stuff like that, and it was probably affecting my mood and. That's another a huge killer of people. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, like I've got the statistic: four hundred nine people last year died of suicide associated to gambling. And if you're a gambling addict, the way you deal with obviously your issues with gambling as well as then you go to alcohol, you go to drugs again, and it is one of the biggest things. And I think like a lot needs to be done to stop it. Do you know what I mean? And so that's the whole greed section of it. But I think it is a really interesting book. I've wrote it, so I'm going to say that, aren't I? But <laughs> even if this book, it, it, it is being, it's been doing brilliant so far and I can't thank people enough for sharing it like yourself, which and all the Everton fans who shared it. And I wanted that to be that way because I didn't want this to be like, oh, I'm a Liverpool fan and people know me at the match. I want them to share it at Liverpool or... I've got Everton made stale, share me. I wanted this because depression isn't about whether you're a Liverpool or Everton fan, is it? It's about everyone getting together and like trying to help each other out, do you know what I mean? And that's what I hope this book does. And already, no matter, I've, we're doing quite well on sales and we're raising the money for Sean's place. I've already achieved what I set out to achieve, a close family, a close family member, and I won't name them because that's a bit unfair on them has already texted me and said, listen, I've listened to that podcast um, that you've done the other week. I've read the introduction to your book and I've realised I need to go get help. And that person's already went to doctors this week 
they've been given antidepressants, which I'm not saying is the way forward, by the way, to just go with doctors, but for that person to realise that, like, that's all I wanted, do you know what I mean? And yeah. I've had people messaging me on Twitter and stuff, and that's just brilliant, do you know what I mean? And that's all I can ask, do you know what I mean? And I hope people do enjoy the book. They actually love reading it because I've already had some positive feedback on that, and it's hard, isn't it, to find the time to read the book. But if you read it chapter by chapter, I think you will like it and then it is it's showing the dark side of football but i do try and mix some humor in at points but um yeah so that's all i've got to say on that but thanks for um listening to me rant on for the last i don't know how long sorry no no, chris honestly it's you know it's important (laughs) messaging you know and it's you know i'm sure just as much as it's helping you talk about it no doubt it's it'll help you know even if it just helps the one person you know or a handful of people um you know i've been there myself many time i mean I met Jay in, in lockdown. Uh, I seen Jay, similar to yourself, going out and trying to help other males. And, you know, he runs a, a charity and I'm sure we'll go on to that with Jay very shortly. But I'd seen it online and, and you know, I was really, really struggling. I, you know, like you, I was following the rules. I couldn't, my fiance lived in a different house and just being engaged and we were saving for a mortgage. And I couldn't see her for, for months and months because her mum wouldn't let her go out the house and we were obviously abiding by the rules with my dad's cancer and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it was hard for me and Jay was was at the time doing virtual walks where you can zoom in and, and speak to other like uh, fellas out and about walking and having a bit of a session after it in terms of like counselling and talking to each other. And that didn't half help me. And that only came about for seeing Jay stuff online, you know, so I'm sure, you know, from speaking from a personal point of view, it, it does. Um, and, and it's right, you know, you, you know, just to pick some of the, you know, pick, pick some of the stuff that you've said there. You know, vices can lead to vices. You know, and I think it is important to step away from things. You know, if you if you are feeling it, you know, speaking to your loved ones is sometimes hard. Um, you know, obviously, I think I was out the other day, and obviously, I lost my dad through cancer last year. Similar to yourself, he, he got COVID uh, last Christmas, uh, Christmas before last, and ended up in hospital, and then he just never got out, um, you know, and I've seen him decline, and it was really, really hard, and obviously, all that, you know, nowhere near Chris in terms of the COVID wards and stuff, but, you know, that kind of, all them protocols were still in place, and, you know, seeing... You know, that whole frustration of, of thinking you should do more. I've been there, you know, I'm still going through it now. You know, you, it's then your first Christmases without them, the first birthdays, it's just endless, isn't it? The list that's the thing, of... that's the thing which, you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 no matter who dies and no matter what situation they die in, it, it, it's horrific for you because that, especially when I think with males, like, you have that relationship with your dad, don't you? That, that they're your rock and me and you are fortunate because we've had good relationships with our dads other people won't have had that and although we were lucky for that it's made it harder for us to deal with that loss hasn't it do you know what I mean which well I I wouldn't have changed that for the world I'm made up he was like that and that's what I'm aiming to do with my children I want them to be my mate do you know what I mean obviously have that respect for me but I want them to trust me as well but um what you were saying there was like right you know what I mean like it's just if if it's hard to tell your family sometimes because like you're trying to tell them and they're not counsellors, they're not experts on how to deal with it. And although they will try and help you, they might not be able to help you. Um and some of the advice as well is not the best advice, is it? You well, know? no, it's not the best advice. And what you were saying then about Christmas and birthdays and that, that is like when you feel your worst, do you know what I mean? And that's why like I feel guilty all the time. Like the first week of like um, my little lad being born, my latest baby Miles, who's seven months, like 
I was literally in the worst place. I've one of the worst times I've had in my life. And I've literally had this little, like this healthy little baby born in front of me. And I just was so down because my dad wasn't there during me. And <laughs> my dad killed me off to be fair, because he has his birthday on Christmas Eve. So he's ruined Christmas. <laughs> he's obviously with the babies and that but then he went into he went into the hospital on my birthday as well he's killed me off with these dates to be fair but um but yeah you're right it, 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 there's just no getting away from it really them reminders and you've got to face it haven't you because yeah, you've got to you've, you've got, got to try and turn it onto a positive and yeah. like for the first time about two months ago i took my little lad to see the grave um Zach, who's two and a half now, and he's understanding it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to explain to him like he's his angel in heaven and stuff like that, but it is hard. Do you know what I mean? And you're going to be like that all the time, but it's just how you do it. Keep seeking help as well. You know, I, I went, I, I, you know, I, I recently went through work um, to try and get some counselling. Um, I, I didn't really do well, well on the tablets, to be honest with you, the antidepressants. and. I went through work and had done one of them triage sessions where someone phoned me and went through the whole thing and basically said I was I was too much um I was I was too complicated to go through them um because they could only offer five or six sessions and they didn't feel as though that would be enough and that was horrible you know because I'd reached out to someone to speak to someone and and being told that you know you, you're basically too complicated for us to deal with you know if luckily enough I've got quite a strong mindset um you know, I'm weak at times, but, you know, equally, I, I was almost more determined to try and find help. And obviously through my GP now, I've been referred and I'm going down that route. But it is hard, you know, and don't, don't give up, you know, speak to as many people as you can. And, you know, one thing might not work for you. Like you say, the antidepressants might work, you know, maybe socialising and, and, you know, going to, you know, one of the charities will work. But just keep trying, you know, keep moving forward and keep trying to, take them positive steps even when sometimes you've got to go backwards first to go forwards you know that's certainly what you just said really important though you know and i'm not going to name the place because that'd be unfair because i might have just had a bad experience um but i was referred to a center away from sean's place um because obviously they were concerned about the suicidal things and stuff like that and if they feel like you need to go somewhere else they will and i'm not going to name the place because it might have just been a bad experience for me but basically i got like um just like swept away they weren't bothered do you know what I mean because they were like you've got to come in in the day and I've been like I'm I'm trying obviously it's a bit daft me saying this now because I'm writing a book I've wrote a book about it and I'm on podcast talking about it but I was trying to hide this from people in work as a teacher do you know what I mean and they were like you've got to come in in the day and I was like I can't do that and then they were like well you mustn't be that bad then you mustn't be that bad then um so you're not getting we're, we're not putting you in then and I was just like, this was meant to be like a place where it's actually for people who are suicidal, do you know what I mean? And literally the Friday before in my last counselling session, I'd had to write a suicide plan, um, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know what a suicide plan is, like, uh, <laughs> this is just crazy, by the way, and we've went off on one. But like, I've planned out how I will kill myself, do you know what I mean? Um, and that's not the suicide plan. The suicide plan is like a safety plan for you to use and go to. So that's in my house now. So when I'm feeling bad, I go to it. Um, and I've actually had to go to it once, like, about in the last couple of months. I went and looked at it and just reminded myself, and you have, like, people who you trust to and you need to speak to and stuff like that or helplines you ring to. And so this person from the... I had this conversation on the Friday to the Monday, then just, like, palm me off, do you know what I mean? And it's just... 
but you can't let that like that stopped me from doing stuff for a long time and um I'm referring myself again back to Sean's place um currently I'm just trying to work out when's best to do it because obviously I'm a bit busy at the minute but um you've got to do it do you know what I mean like don't let one thing like you did um you could have someone and I don't know the charities aren't doing this on purpose but like you could have just give up there, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you've got to go and try and find another place that will help you or find something like Jay's doing um, with the walking and stuff like that. And it's just, it is hard, isn't it, do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get off now because <laughs> Jay's no, been a long, long time. <laughs> no, Chris, look, it's all important. So don't, you don't have to apologise, honestly. This goes on for as long as it needs to because, you know, there'll be people listening. I'm sure they'll be hanging on every word, you know, and, any bits of experience and you know it, it, you know important because there'll be people going through the exact same things or have friends or family you know and it might just be you know if you if you're listening to what Chris has said or or some of what I've said and no doubt what Jay's saying and, and it, it sounds like someone you know then you know just just try and just speak to them and you know it's understand a little bit more you know you don't have to say the magic words there are no magic words sometimes it's sometimes up to that person to find the solutions you know he just maybe just by being there and just being, you know, someone available for them can help as well. Thanks, Chris. And we'll, we'll come back to you before we, we, we obviously finish. And um, Jay, I just, obviously you've been on our podcast quite a bit. Um, talk about football, talk about, your, you know, the talk up itself, but for anyone that doesn't know, tell us a bit about talk up, um, why you set it up and, 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 you know, what where, where you've kind of started and where you've got to now. Yeah. I just first want to say like, Chris, like, you know, well done for everything you're doing, mate. Like, amazing. Um, and I was just listening then to the to you talking, like just building the the picture up in my head of your story and stuff. Um, and just well, well in for for seeking that help. Cause like you said, then like it can knock your confidence, can't you? When you go somewhere and they, they dismiss you, that that's a big you know, it takes a lot of courage to just go somewhere and seek help. So it can can put you off, can't it? Thanks for that, Jay. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Um, it did, to be fair, for a while. But like you said, you just got to try and find other avenues, haven't you, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, mate. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to get your book as well. Uh, have a read of that. Sounds really interesting. Um, yeah, David, uh, I forgot the question, lad. Just about talk of... <laughs> Yeah, if you could just uh, just for anyone that, that, that um, obviously doesn't know talk up, why did you start it? What is it? Um, you know, what have you done so far? Uh, yeah. You know, and and what it, where are you currently with it all? Yeah, I basically just started talk about uh, through my own experiences um, with mental health, uh, living with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is also OCD, um, but it often gets used in the wrong the wrong. Uh, term OCD you know people use it like it's an adjective like very loosely like oh I've got a bit of OCD when actually it's a debilitating mental health uh, disorder um which I've had since I was a uh, like 11 12 like teenagers um so I struggled with that most of my life um and I did a little uh, video like a little film on YouTube about my story I got approached through a friend um so once I did that, I got a really good response on Twitter. Um, and then a lot of like Everton fans and stuff were messaging me saying, like, just like sort of like yourself, Chris, talking out and stuff and getting you know people like positive messages and people coming up to me at the match and stuff saying, you know, like 
they've got someone in the family who's got OCD or, you know, they, they've, they've got it or just, just even just like speaking out, it helped them. Um, and that gave me a bit of confidence then to carry on talking because um, I was really scared to even do that video. Like, because talking about OCD, the things that I go through, it, you know, I don't know, it's scary. And I thought people would judge me and think I'm, I'm strange and I'm weird. Um, but now I'll speak about it all the time. Like David will see it, I do it on Twitter all the time and just to raise awareness. Um, and, you know, it makes me who I am. Uh, and yeah, I set a podcast up like, you, like yourself, David, uh, just talking about OCD and then started to interview people and stuff like Chris Kirkland. Um, and I just decided one day, uh, like I was recovering from a nose operation and um, I was walking around mine, one of my favourite spots. And um, I just thought like, I could do something like this to to help guys. Cause I, I had the thing in me that I wanted to set like an OCD support group where I lived because I was going to one in Liverpool and I was just thinking like, do one around mine. Um, and I, I, did, I had something in my head for ages and I just thought I could do like a walk and talk with you know, with guys, because it's free, and I felt like it'd be better to just talking, you know, you don't have to, like, look at each other and sat in the room facing each other, I just thought this is, like, a good way. Um, and, yeah, we went on a walk with a few, few of my mates, and um, six of us, and it was just really, really good. Um, and then we, like, obviously COVID happened and stuff, so, like David said before about the Zoom calls, um did the virtual walks where we got everyone to go out on a walk on a Saturday morning and then we get a little photo and put a little, we make a little photo collage and then we just have like a check-in and a chat basically, just go around the, the Zoom chat and one to ten, how are you feeling? One being not good, ten being great. And that that gave me a little bit of a indication of them when I spoke to someone, what kind of mood set they was in. Um, and for me, it's just facilitating the chat you know, I, I'm not giving advice and telling people do this, do that. It's just like facilitating the lads chatting, um, bit of like peer support kind of kind of thing. Um, and yeah, we, we got like Chris Kirkland to come on and have a chat with the lads, didn't we, David? And um, did a few podcast interviews with like Nathan Qualis, who's a pro boxer in Liverpool. He spoke about gambling, which she was talking about before, Chris. Um, uh, Adrian O'Mokke, uh footballer played for like Wrexham in York um, he, he come and spoke about his his mental health what you was talking about before about how hard it is you know the lower divisions and getting injured and you know managers not picking you and stuff like that um, and yeah I just started to we started to play football set up a little little team uh, um, played little tournaments went to Scotland uh, and then I set up a boxing project last year with me, one of my best mates, because I, I used to do amateur boxing. Um, and just train lads for eight weeks. And we basically we just taught them the basics of boxing from the, you know, your fundamentals to actually getting in the ring and, you know, having a little a move around. But also at the end of each session, we talk about the mental side of boxing. And then on the other session, we talk about like mental health so we touch on like listening skills uh why it's good to ask twice um and then we talk about like different topics like depression i'd share about ocd and you know we, we talk about different things and at the end of the eight weeks like the lads have got fitter but they've also mentally 
they've learned a lot as well. Um, and yeah, since then, you know, just carried on just doing walks and playing football. Uh, and for me, it's you know, it's just great to see like other lads getting involved and like David just getting to know some great, great people. Um, and myself, I've struggled a lot lately, like the past, I don't know, six months or so. Like I'm always up and down. I feel like people always think, you know, Jay's a leader and he, he's strong and all that. But there's a lot of times where I, I'm not, you know, uh, just go get, getting myself to go to the Everton game. Like it, it can be really hard because of my OCD and contamination phase. But also some days I just don't feel like being there. Like, you know, I have, I have suicidal OCD where you just constantly ruminate about it. Like your obsessions, compulsions around suicide. So, you know, I can relate to you, Chris, on what you were saying before. Um, I, I've doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but I, I think about a in detail about everything. I can, you know, I've spent like four hours on the way home from an away game on my own. Just that's all I thought about. And, you know, I've been in them low places a couple of times where I've, you know, not wanted to be here anymore. And um, so that, that's why I do what I do, because I don't want other guys to feel like they're on their own. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit about talk other than that. Fantastic, Jay. And obviously, if, 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 you know, if you don't mind me blowing your trumpets here and, you know, the stuff that you've done, you know, obviously it started with the virtual stuff and obviously, you know, I find it really helpful because you started obviously after doing in-person walks. You've done them, obviously, Crosby, close to, to where we have. You've done quite a few then, haven't you? And yeah. along the front into High Town, you've, you know, you've been all, all around, haven't you? The lakes and various walking places. So I think it's, you know, it's it's something that's really helped people. And I think even international um People have got involved, haven't they, from Chicago and places like that, joining in with you and, and doing work. So it's it's great, you know. Is you know, and I know you find it on. You are so modest in terms of what you've achieved, but you you've really, you know, you've helped me on a personal level. And when I've been really low, I know, you know, speaking to people, you've really helped them as well. Uh, and I know it can be hard, you know, because you do feel a sense of responsibility. Then don't you, you know, and you know, just just keep going, mate. And you know, your people do look up to you, and you know. The work that you do is valued, uh, you know. So anyone does know. So obviously Jay's done a couple with Everton Football Club, um, and, and done a couple of walks that have been sponsored with Everton, and a couple of players have been involved. And I think Kirkland certainly has been on a few walks, hasn't he now? And, and being involved, so it's it's something that it's been great to see from the outside looking in at times as well. You know, I know I've certainly haven't been involved as much as I, I probably have in the past lately but it's 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 great you know I've never left them groups and as you read the messages that you, you know and what's happened and stuff and it does help listening to other people's experiences so Jay obviously football obviously to you I know that you you know that certainly in lockdown you really struggled because that's your community isn't it you know the home and the away I know you haven't missed a match for years um but can football be a hindrance as well as a help or do you, do you think it, it goes two ways you know uh, yeah, some yeah. Look, me personally, obviously, like sometimes you, I'm not in a good mental, like headspace. Going to games can be can make me worse, to be honest. You know, with the obviously supporting Evans not the best <laughs> anyway. Like, but, um, part of, like no matter what, I love I, going to games. For me, it doesn't matter where like how bad Everton are, like. In my lowest times, knowing that I could go to the match on a Saturday, like that when I was like 19, 20, like that saved me. Like even when I was a kid, like 
always felt like depressed and all these compulsions that I was having, like, was going through hell every day, but knowing I could go to the game on a Saturday and just, like, for that two hours being in the ground, like, it just took your mind off things, you know? And even now, like, at the game, I still have loads of, like, compulsions. I'll be, like, counting things in my head, going over conversations, like, doing a lot of mental compulsions that, you know, you can't see. Um, but you know, Everton will score or something will happen in the game and you just, like, it takes your mind off it for a bit. And, you know, I, I go the game on my own. Me, sometimes I drive, like, Newcastle or, like, Fulham away when I'm on my own. Like, I'm not bothered being, like, because I, I don't know when I get the game, I just feel like I'm part of a, a family. Like, I'm there. And obviously the journey home sometimes is not nice, like, on your own or, you know, it's the long way and you're tired and, mentally drained because I'm, I'm going through all these OCD, you know, uh, experiences because um, that, that, that they're all the time, they're constant. But um, for me, yeah, just when lockdown happened, like, I just felt like, like, I have to go to game. Like, there's no, that's it for me. Like, I go to match. Like, Everton, for me, comes before anything, to be honest. Like, you know, I've got to be there. Um, and then to say, like, we're not allowed to game no more, it was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, that's why that like talk up helped me like speaking to you lads on Zoom because I just felt like I had people to talk to and you know watching it on TV it just it didn't feel the same um, and that's when we started to speak to the club wasn't it to try and see if we could do something to help the fans because it's not just about football it's not just going there and watching the game it's just the the routine it's you know you're not in control of going and seeing people and doing the things that you do right, on a Saturday or a Sunday or Monday night whenever we play matches nowadays. But yeah, it, it was just like a big hole in my life and I, I know that was the same for a lot of other fans as well. I think it's a fair say as well, just for anyone who is listening, obviously Jay's a massive Evertonian, uh, but I think it's Reds, Blues, and you've even got fans from as far as Scotland on tour hub, haven't you? The, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's certainly not like a one club thing. It's it's a you know a charity open to everyone, really. Yeah, and it's a male's mental health charity again, isn't it? So, um, like you say, similar to what Chris said, I think you've done that, didn't you, Jay? You know, because you, you, you found that people felt comfortable maybe opening up around other, other fellas going through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a lot of footy fans on it because we were all missing the the same thing, wasn't we, at the time? Um, and, you know, just football is a big part of a lot of people's lives, not everyone's life. Like, if, even foot, non-football fans come along to talk, it doesn't matter, whatever, but, you know, a high percentage of people, when you meet someone, it's like, oh, what teams you support? And it, that opens the conversation, doesn't it? Um so yeah, for me personally, it's a big part of my life and that that went. So uh, it was just that that was quite tough. Two more things, Shay. What anything coming up for talk up or any plans that you, you're thinking of at the moment? Yeah, I'm gonna sort a couple of walks um in March and got a foot football match as well, um against my work. So yeah, just trying to trying to get myself back on track with talk up because the past I'd say five or six months since like my high point, obviously, going to Finch Farm and stuff like since then, I, I, I don't know, I've not felt the best, really. I've been on a... Always fighting myself, thinking, like, sometimes, our oh, talk club's not doing anything, like, it's not good, like, like not done anything for ages, not... I don't know, I have a lot of self-doubt and stuff, uh, kind of, there's, like, a pressure to keep it going all the time, so 
Um, yeah, I'm just trying to get it get it back up and running. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> so if anyone wants to, to reach out, Jay, and, and obviously at what you your Twitter at, how can people contact you? Uh, just at talkub underscore um on Instagram and Twitter. Uh so yeah, on Instagram you can just see everything we've done and any future events will be obviously posted on there. Fantastic. Thanks, Jay. And oh, Chris, I'll just uh, come a couple, couple more uh, from you and one from Jay. Is if you can give one piece of advice out there. Uh, well, firstly, actually, we'll, 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 where can people find your book? It's Amazon. Is that right? Yeah, it's on sale on Amazon. I actually had someone um, message me the other day saying, can I buy it anywhere else? But yeah, it's just Amazon at the minute. Um, and hopefully you'll put it on there, which saves the hassle of trying to explain how to type it in because it's a nightmare with that stupid <laughs> And I put in the middle of it. Um, I didn't think that bit through, but yeah, it's on Amazon. Um, and if anybody could buy it or even just share it, it'd be brilliant. Um, because obviously, which done a brilliant job for me the other day. I've had sales in uh, the USA and Canada and everything. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice one, which get the networks out there. And, and Chris, just stay with you. One, one last thing I want to ask you is if, if you could give people, obviously, you've got so much advice that you've already shared, but if you could give people listening um you know if someone's listening and they are struggling one piece of advice what what would you say to them i think you just need to talk out and ask for help um and probably going away from your questions slightly but just don't be hard on yourself as well um it's easy to get down on yourself and obviously depression makes you want to get down on yourself and it makes you want to feel bad about yourself. That's obviously that part of your brain that is just not functioning properly, really. Um, but you've just got to ask people for help, really. And um, whatever way you decide to do that, then it's up to you whether you go through the family route or you go professionally. But just let people know and they will be there for you um, because it's obviously really important that you don't suffer alone really and I think something that I would say in the introduction to the book is that obviously Jay's just pointed it out there that football to us three is like everything isn't it like that's why the book book's called football is greater than anything and for a long time and still do really like I'd watch anything on, on telly I'd watch I don't know let's say like an under 16s game of two clubs I've never ever seen in my life before but um I think what I've realised, writing this all down and like talking about like my journey with like suicidal thoughts and that that life life is greater than anything. And if you've got them suicidal thoughts, you need to go and get not even suicidal thoughts, just them thoughts of being down. You need to go and get help. Um, whatever way you decide that to do, and there is so much out there. And obviously, um, I think Liverpool and Everton do a brilliant job of like promoting mental health as well. And places like what Jay's doing is brilliant so um, there's stuff out there for everybody Thanks Chris, much appreciated and and Jay, same question to you obviously there'll be some crossover no doubt with what Chris has already said but what, what piece of advice could you give to someone if they're, they're listening and just have, you know might be a bit down or, or, or people feel like they need a bit of help Yeah, basically Chris just said most of the things there like just re, you know, reach out um, whether that's a friend, family or you know Sean's place groups like mine, uh, Samaritans, and you know, there's been many bad days in my life, but you know, when I think of all the good times that I've had as well, like after these times that I felt really down and low, and I thought can't see a way out, and then I look at all the, like the 
the brilliant days I've had as well. I, um, you know, there is good good days ahead. Um, just you, you can't see it in in their moments. And piece of advice as well is, uh, not for the person like say you're going through it, but people who support them, other people, and just listening. Like listening is a really important skill. Um, and just being able to listen to someone, you know, talk talk and open up to it is, you know, is a massive thing. Um, and that's why I speak about, you know, with the guys and stuff um, on the boxing project is like, you know, Samaritans, they, you know, they, they, they have it all written down in, on their website, you know, just giving someone your full undivided attention when they, they open up to you, um, you know, not, not putting your experiences on, on them and what you think, like just letting that person open up to you and um, relaying the question, making sure you understand and, you know, no distractions, no like going on your phone or whatever, and just sit in like a quiet room and just, you know, just understand that person, listening to them and then signposting them to the, to the GP or, you know, to Samaritans or whatever like that. That's a massive thing. And, you know, I, I know like someone's listening to me, I'll open up, but sometimes I won't if I don't feel like, you know, they're not fully engaged. So I think that's a really important thing. Um, but yeah, just it's good to talk. Fantastic. We've got the talk club slogan in there, Jay, as well. Yeah. At the end, it's good to talk. <laughs> uh, ever the professional. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, look, honestly, I, I'm not going to try and add to what Chris and Jay have already said. I think both excellent pieces of advice. Make sure we post all the links. Um, Thank you for listening, as always, um, and we'll be back next week uh, with another episode. So uh, thank you and bye for now.
Giving it.